Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partners and that's Sprung Suspension and Kotick Bikes. After a summer on fast, dusty trails, there's no doubt that many people's bikes could benefit from a suspension service and Sprung have got a great discount offer for you. Sprung like to take their time with each customer so as they understand the rider, their bike and the current settings. This means they can return your forks and shock with the optimum settings, any necessary internal tuning and ensure that you're on the best possible setup whatever your level. Sprung is run by Jake Ireland who's got years of experience on the World Cup circuit and is currently the team race engineer at MS Mondraker. So they were my first choice when I wanted to get my suspension running at its best for the Tweed Valley EWS earlier in the year. They didn't disappoint and turned around my suspension in a day, leaving me with a bike that felt way better to ride and was definitely a chunk faster on the trails. Sprung are super flexible, so you can send your suspension there, or if you're nearby, you can do pickups and drop-offs, and they're going to do their best to make it work for you. As a downtime listener, Sprung are giving you 10% off service and tuning until the 15th of November. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME22 over at sprungsuspension.com. That's downtime, all one word, followed by the number 22 over at sprungsuspension.com. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. You just need to hit follow or subscribe in your podcast app now, or there's buttons to help you get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. We've got a fully refreshed and expanded range of merch available now over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. It's all super high quality, ethically sourced and delivered without any single use plastics. All merch sales go directly to help and keep the podcast going. Christmas is on its way and if you're looking for the perfect gift for the mountain biker in your life or something awesome to put on your very own Christmas list then look no further than a subscription to Downtime EP. EP takes the podcast into a printed format with writing and imagery from some of mountain biking's most talented creators. Put together by the wonderful team over at Misspent Summers, you can guarantee that EP is a very lovely thing to own and read. Head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP to get yours now and EP3 is going to be heading to print very soon. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. You can also get in touch and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook by heading to at Downtime Podcast. Today's episode is also supported by Kotick Bikes and I'm joined by their head honcho and design guru, Cy Turner. In this episode, we chat about the development of the new Gen 4 Kotick Rocket Max, their insanely fast enduro bike. Hear how Cy goes about developing a bike from customer demands through kinematic design, geometry choices and prototype testing. We get Cy's thoughts on seat angles, coil shocks and plenty more. We also discuss how Cy has got faster by improving his suspension and bike setup over time. So without further ado, here's Cy Turner. Cy Turner, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. It's been a been a wee while since you've been on. How's things? Good. Yeah. Yeah, it has been a while, hasn't it? I think it was, what, 2019, the last one we did? I'm not even sure, mate. I see you enough anyway. Like, yeah, we, we talk, <laughs> but we don't very often have a microphone in front of us. So. This is very true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Well, actually, well, I'm about 95% because obviously I just crashed on the ride that we've just been on <laughs> to, for the first time in months. So I'm trying not to bleed on your cables. But apart from that, I'm all right. Yeah, it's pretty unusual <laughs> for you, right? You're not, not a crasher kind of, kind of rider normally, but that was a fair... Fair big un. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to uh, shout out to O'Neill knee pads for saving <laughs> for saving my knee. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, wasn't even trying either. It's quite annoying. Yeah, <laughs> insane. Yeah, a bit of a weird one that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. Good stuff, Matt. Well, we're gonna we're gonna be chatting a lot about bike development, but before we do that, something came up on social media this past week that I didn't know about you, and I know you, I know you pretty well. I've known you a long time. There was a Turner branded hub. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about that because i think maybe even you, you'd forgotten about it i kind of had because it's just like one of those things that happens like yeah because it was a long time ago so yeah when so i've always doodled sketched bike things like um i always wanted to design stuff always um and I, back in the 90s when cnc'd everything was cool it still kind of is um <laughs> Uh, there were all these hubs like Bullseye and like Newt Proof and Ringle and all of this kind of stuff. And I couldn't afford them because I was just a shop rat and, you know, I was 14 years old. So I, but I, I just sort of learned about it and I, I designed a front hub and my dad had that hub made for me for my 16th birthday, I think, um, which was really nice. It was a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, and... Um, and off the back of that, um, we just got talking and I can't remember exactly how it came about, but basically I refined the design slightly and, um, and dad said, we should try and sell some of these. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we went and went to this machine shop and like, it just got shown about like how to do drawings and stuff and, and this, and dad financed the the production i think we had like like 30 or 40 made something like that it wasn't like loads and it was just like a, a front hub and it was like we did like there was like a red red anno one and a blue anno one and and a silver one and um anyway they but they they had the ability to engrave the things and this is you know this so i was like seven this was years before Kotick. Um, so yeah, so we just put Turner in the in the hub, and we sold a few. I think we we sent one to MBUK and like, and yeah, sold a few mail order. That Dad's having seen that photograph. Dad um, Dad thinks there might be a few left in the garage or something like that. So so I'm gonna <laughs> next time down on Friday, so I'm gonna have a rummage and see if I can find one. But yeah, no, I completely forgotten about it. And then um, a mate of mine who I used to ride with at university um clearing out his garage and we went for, we went for a walk last weekend and said uh have you got any use for this and he had a few bike bits in there and one of them was this wheel that he he was a bit of a wheel builder back in the day and it was that wheel that he built into that hub 27 years ago <laughs> wow amazing um yeah and i was like wow so yeah that's just gonna like hang up on my garage wall as a like a you know um where it started how it's going kind of thing yeah, that's <laughs> awesome yeah i always assumed the kind of mountain bike entrepreneur day started with classic i didn't realize there was that little foray uh, much earlier in your life yeah 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 it was um yeah weird one but yeah. big thanks to my dad for just um probably plowing a couple of grand into making some machined bits or yeah, whatever I guess back show, in the day showing into... you what was possible yeah, right? yeah, pushing definitely. you along that that yeah, direction definitely. to, to so, show yeah. you what a business could be yeah so it's probably uh, but a big, that was big part of the underpinning of that being like feeling accessible to you when you wanted to start a cottage. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, my dad had his own business anyway, so um and so did my granddad, so it's like it's not um you know, how somebody running their own small business is like how I grew up. It yeah. was completely normal to me. So 
Um, so yeah, so that, so actually doing, actually having my own business was, even though I was completely clueless when I started, was, uh, <laughs> it never held any fear for me. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so that was, that was it. But yeah, that was, those, those hubs were the only thing we made in any volume, but yeah, I'm, I made a couple, I made some like little breaks that look like Avid's and couple of the hubs and bits and pieces yeah. amazing i never <laughs> knew it love it good stuff man well yeah it's been it's been a hectic few months for both of us which is kind of why it's taken us a while uh since the launch of the new rocket max for us to sit down and chat about about the development of it but we are going to do that yeah. one of the things that took up quite a lot of time for both of us this year was preparing for and racing the tweed valley ews which was an incredible experience. I'd recommend it to anyone that even vaguely thinks about having a go. Um, we did that together. I wanted to hear your thoughts on it because we've we've sort of debriefed a little bit, but I, I haven't really like heard your outward facing thoughts on it. Um, it was it was brilliant, and I'm massively grateful to you to for committing to it and saying let's do this together because I don't think I would have done it on my own, and it was brilliant doing it together. Um, and it was really nice to share that sort of, uh, you're going to say journey, weren't you? And yeah, then realized it was a bit cheesy. Yes. <laughs> just to share, just to share the experience over that few months, because, um, we learned a lot. I learned a lot of you cause you, you're like way up the, like the scale on like about the nutrition and fueling side. I mean, I'm still a bit old school. I don't have a GPS on my bike or anything like that, or a heart rate monitor. I just like ride for two or three hours and then like feel tired and come home <laughs> yeah as long as i've got enough water with me i'm usually okay kind of thing so i knew this was going to be a big ask and i was nervous about that and i also have a really funny um i have an odd internal relationship with specific goal setting like broader stuff like business stuff and strategic things and things like that and like day to day it's like you know you just get stuff done but like in like i put I, I can end up cr sort of putting a lot of pressure on myself or then just or just getting really angry about a goal that's like like why am I doing this to myself and stuff like that so I definitely went through that period yeah with this and like putting too much pressure on myself about it but again it's like first time I've done that for a while and it's usually and it's main, mainly fear related because I didn't know I could do it um but it was good it was the I love that we did it at Tweed Valley because I it was I knew the trails well enough or the yeah. certain or the type of terrain anyway that i felt like there was nothing that was going to particularly surprise me because i am one thing that i'm sort of nervous of when i go most places is that i'm way more comfortable in slower speed really steep technical terrain than i am on kind of bike parky stuff yeah, i am yeah. i am awful at jumping and i do not enjoy it so <laughs> so stuff where there would be like big bike park sections and stuff like that would just be I'd, you know that would put me off mm -hmm. so doing it somewhere like tweed where i kind of knew that i'd be psyched on the riding all the way around was like really cool um but yeah it was great it, it was great it motivated me to get back in the gym which i needed to do anyway and Ben from the Strength Factory, I signed up to these over 40s MTB thing after hearing him on the pod. And yeah. that's been absolutely brilliant. And I'm still on that. He was, he's was he been so good. I'd, I would recommend Ben to anybody if you yeah. just want to look after your body. For sure. Shout out to Ben. Um, and yeah, it just meant we rode together a bit more. And um, even though the bike was kind of signed off by then, it did sort of mean that it was sort of there was an extended focus on 
on the Rocket Max because that was the I was riding the prototype. I was riding the development bike. Yeah, like through the whole time we were training for it and ended up racing it as well. Yeah, well, let's talk about that then. So before we kind of talk about the prototype bike itself, I guess wind it back a bit. How do you decide that you're gonna? change something within the product lineup either like a new model or or a fresh model like what triggers that for you um it can be any number of things i mean for something like our new gravel sort of adventure bike like the cascade that's like a gap in the lineup so Uh that's like feels like a space has opened up in the lineup and we think there's something we can fill it with that would be fun to ride and enjoyable and cotic and all of that kind of thing um, on things like the Rocket Max, the spur for Rocket Max specifically was the movement in the genre of bike. Uh-huh. Because up until, because um, right from the very first one back in 2016, um, the ro- up until Gen 3, the Rocket Max has been a um, a 160 mil fork bike. Yeah. You know, the travel's bumped up slowly at the rear and the geometry's obviously radically changed with the Gen 2 bike with, with the introduction of the long shot geometry and the 63 and a half degree head angle. But um, but it's always been a 160 front and then it's sort of the rear kind of bumped up until Gen 3, it was a 160, 160 bike. Yeah. Um, but we launched it in 2020 and then um, about... It probably wasn't long after, or it wasn't, or it's was about the same time. All of the thirty-eight mil platform forks came out. Yeah. So suddenly, the genre moved from being like one sixty bikes to being one seventy, one eighty bikes, even in twenty nine er. Yeah. And even within that first year with Gen three, we were getting like a lot of customer requests, a lot of customer feedback saying, "Well, can I put a thirty eight on this? Can I put a Zeb on this? Can yeah. I?" can I put a 170 fork on it? And actually because of, because the 38 mil platforms are physically taller than the 35 mil platforms, we, without recertifying the frame, we couldn't even say, yes, you can put a 160 38 platform on it. So, so basically the, the trigger was, is that within a few months of gen three being out, um, the we we needed to if we were going to stay in that if the bike was going to stay in the enduro space yeah and we were happy with the 160 mil rear travel which we were um actually we needed to beef up the frame for you know for these bigger platforms yeah okay um and so that's that that was the thing that sort of pushed it in that direction yeah and then i guess once you once you know you're heading down that kind of updated platform approach you've got those opportunities to make other changes along the way were there yeah what did you want to achieve with the new rocket max were there certain things you set out to include um the only thing apart from the the only thing apart from the 174 38 mil like compatibility was coil shock Uh because that was becoming a big ask as well um and we'd moved away from coil shocks after the Gen 2 bike. Um, just partly because we, well, with the Gen 2 bike, we were selling a lot of them without shocks. Uh-huh. You know, and people were just putting their own shocks on and then getting poor advice about the coil and 
putting too soft coil on them and that bike particularly because it was so progressive didn't actually suit a coil shock all that well so people would go for that coil feel and then put a softer spring on to get the feel they wanted and then just like just smash their shock up smash yeah. their frame up because it was just too too you know it just wasn't the right thing for yeah, that yeah. bike yeah yeah um um you know and we're a small business and we need to manage our warranty risk and we basically said look we're none of us ride coil shocks yeah these air shocks are amazing we i just got on that new fox x2 which is amazing shock um we knew cane creek had this new kitsuma coming along the line and we we're like well with the new bike we will beef it up for sure but let's just go for let's just go for air shock we know that people can set them up properly we can advise them it's what we're all riding it's true to what we're yeah, doing. it's the DNA of the it's brand. The, in so, a way. so let's just you know, and these the, and these shocks that we that we're running are, are amazing. So let's go with that. But the market is still, you know, you know, the, certainly in that genre of bike, the market wasn't with us. Yeah, it pulls you along, kind of thing. So, so yeah, so we needed to go back to coil. Yeah. Um. So that needed looking at again. So that was the that was the only other real thing apart from you know minor sort of tidy you know tidy up but there was definitely a geometry thing i wanted to look at mm-hmm. but that was that was a more broad learn that wasn't specifically rocket max so. yeah okay yeah more like overarching yeah like yeah, yeah. drop link bike kind of yeah piece of work yeah for sure what um so where does it start then so you've got right you, these things that you want to kind of tick off where do you start with a project like that um well the so with the drop link bike because they drive the the shock into the down tube on the smaller sizes the height of the front end drives the packaging of the rear end okay because what you get is and and this was a and this is the reason why the kinematics changed on the new bike because we were completely happy with the kinematic on the old bike but when you drop the bottom bracket a little bit and then raise the head tube by 15 millimetres. To accommodate the 174. To accommodate, to accommodate the 174. Yeah. Um, the, on the small, well, the small, the C1 size as it is now, the smallest size. Yeah. Um, the, where the, the angle that the shock meets the down tube starts with the old, with the, you know, with the Gen 2, with the Gen 2 and Gen 3 kinematic, um, the angle that the shock meets the down tube is actually tipping up, not mm-hmm. down, yeah. and that actually makes the um, that actually makes the sh- the shock rate uh, regressive, not okay. progressive. Yeah, like the 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 angle of the shock relative to the seat stay is actually one of the ways that you tune the rate of the bike. Okay. With the, it's not just the linkage; it's the yeah. position of the shock. And, yeah, yeah. Um, Can you just explain really briefly the difference between progressive and regressive for people if they don't? Yeah, sure. That? Okay, so generally progressive. Uh, so um a progressive bike it gets it gets harder for the for the it gets um the the suspension effectively gets harder through the stroke yeah so the, the so so if you start so say you've got a coil spring of a stop of a set rate um the if the frame is progressive it will still feel harder to push the suspension deeper in the travel than it will earlier in yep. the travel because yep. of the way the mechanical advantage works regressive is the other way around it actually gets easier for the frame so it will just blow yeah you know so you'll get so you'll get support 
you get your support at SAG if you set it up how you want it. Mm-hmm. And then the moment you hit a bump, it will just smash the bump. So you just blow straight through because yeah. you'll get no support from the spring. Got you. And you're heading towards a more aggressive, more regressive curve as that angle between the shock and the yeah. uh, uh, down tube gets tighter. That's right. Forward. So yeah. so as the angle of the... So basically what you don't want is the is the end of the, of the shock starting already like angled up relative to the seat stay because yeah. you're always on a loser at that point so then we had to lift the shock lift the whole front lift the whole front end um which meant slightly longer drop links which meant slightly different kinematic and then so there was um so yeah so there so that was it so it's not just one or the other so the packaging but in this case, the packaging drove the suspension redesign. Uh-huh. But the suspension redesign in itself was relatively straightforward because how we had a very obvious target. We were going for as close to the same feel as Gen Three, yeah, as we could with the new bike. With the new so, so it's not yeah. it's not like we needed to test out five different curves or have a ton of adjustability in the front mm-hmm. end. We knew what we wanted. We just had to get there within the packaging constraints of the new situation yeah and that's governed by making it work on the smallest frame that you do right yes so that's where you start yeah and, and i assume that's all we're in front of a computer screen at this point yeah, right? yeah and this we're doing is, some maths and yeah yeah so this is a site so so this isn't even 3d cad at this point this yeah. is just 2d cad like effectively an electric drawing board yeah moving things around seeing how they fit figuring out where those where those pivots are putting them into the suspension software what does that look like mm-hmm. And then because of my experience of having done thousands of different iterations of this, um, the, um, you know, I know that if, oh, if the curve's looking like that and because of this, then it means I probably need to move these things this point. So, yeah, okay. So there's that level of experience means the iteration is is relatively swift. Yeah. Um, and then you just get into other production considerations like the Rocket Max has a unique drop link for just the rocket max okay which means that well do we really want to do that there is added cost involved in that but you, you know and there's you know because the other bikes share a different length linkage okay. and so there's there's lots of little things where you have to make these these sort of not just engineering but kind of commercial yeah, decisions yeah. as well there's yeah. like are we going to do it like this are we going to do it like that is it worth the investment in a new part and all of this kind of stuff so yeah, lots to look at for sure. When you were doing that, another thing that you've changed, not by a huge amount, but have changed on this latest Rocket Max is the seat tube angle. Yes. There's a lot of talk about seat tube angle these days. It seems to come up in most bike reviews. And yeah. A lot of the reviewers seem to be quite sensitive to it. Um, again, it's it's another thing that's really easy to talk about. It's actually a pretty complex situation, and I'm not sure if people fully necessarily understand that, but it varies with saddle height right yes so it's not as simple as looking at a number and saying well that bike's great for me because it's 70 whatever it is yeah it's going to vary across sizes with saddle height etc etc yeah, yeah, how, yeah. how have you approached that on rocket max because it's definitely uh like a, an area in bike design which is progressing they seem to be getting steeper and steeper like how have you pitched yours and how have you handled that variation through saddle height and frame size and well, the first thing is we've always tried to keep the the actual seat angle of the top bit of the seat tube 
relatively steep. So rather than curving very far forward and then having a really slack angle, like heading back, you know, heading rearwards again, mm -hmm. um, which gives you a big, very, you know, just think about it, it gives you a big rearward variation, you know, fore-aft yeah, yeah. variation depending yeah. on saddle height. We've always tried to keep our upper seat angle relatively steep so you get as little as possible okay and yeah. even if and the the they're not completely size specific but the, the 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 rocket max has a half a degree steeper seat angle on the c3 c4 and c5 larger sizes compared to the smaller ones mm -hmm. and that's the reason why the reason why it's only half a degree is because even without that the variation in seat angle between sam's seat height and Sam, uh, you know, Sam, the Sam, our demo guy is four, five foot seven. Yeah. And my seat height at, with my stupid long legs at 805 millimeters from the BB. Yeah. Even that with a consistent seat angle is only half a degree on our bike. Okay. So it's yeah. relatively consistent anyway. Okay. Um, but by design. Like, by, yeah. yeah. Um, but going to the steeper seat angle just partly because you see these trends and you think, right, we need to just try this out. Mm -hmm. um, um, and it was partly that um, I actually found it much more comfortable. I've always had problems with my knee. Um, well, not always, but my knee blew up about 15 years ago and it's uh, and I've always had to manage it. And yeah. I had a bike fit with it when it got bad, like sort of, um, sort of 20... 21 like sort of april 21 and he sort of put me in this position with slightly shorter cranks and really quite a steep seat angle and it like it really offloaded my knee it really helped so i think that's why a lot of people find it more comfortable because it not only puts you in a more central position on the bike when you're doing steep climbs and all of that kind of stuff i think it actually once people get used to it it feels weird at first yeah it does but once people get used to it i think it's actually slightly more knee friendly okay um you may be not be able to put out all of you know maximum torque or whatever it was that everyone's the reason why everyone settled on 73 degrees back in the day but mm -hmm. um for me it definitely held advantages just personally so i thought well does this you know does this roll out across more people yeah um so i built a um um i built a frame with a slightly steeper seat tube angle and that felt good and then just did stuff like you know, just slamming the saddle right forward and yeah. just figuring out what that felt like versus all the way back and just seeing where we pitched it. And, uh -huh. um, so, yeah, I think it's a good thing. I'm, I, I've not tried a bike with like an 80 degree seat angle. Yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that going that far is necessarily the way to go. Uh -huh. we, we've sort of settled at well, again, it's about where you measure it as well, because it's the other thing that's really confusing for people, isn't it? And we try, we really try with our with our information to be a, as as clear as we can. Yeah. But most people measure it the old fashioned way, which is effectively a dotted line at the top of the head tube, and then a dotted line, um, and then that crosses where the center line of the seat the top of the seat tube is yeah and then they draw a dotted line to the bb but that's actually a real that's a massively low saddle nobody pedals actually at that saddle height yeah, that's yeah. like a 500 mil saddle height or something like that so 
you know, our seat angles measured in, you know, measured like that to like 77 or like some 77 and a half or uh-huh. something like that, which is in the vanguard of what everyone else is sort of talking about. But actually we state them at like around 76 because that's actually what you get at this. And we state it across two saddle heights yeah. so you can get a feel for what you might actually experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've settled around the kind of... 76 area uh-huh. that seems to be what most people sort of like you know seems to be comfortable for a range of riders without feeling like your wrists are massively loaded or anything yeah. like that so yeah cool and that like that change to seat angle obviously has impact on reach and how the bike feels and reach is something that you spent a lot of time i think in the development of this latest rocket max kind of looking at and also revisiting head angle yeah. stuff kind of re-questioning some assumptions that you've made in the past to check that things are still valid i guess yeah this is where the prototype that you rode at the ews and the run up to the ews came in so tell us a little bit about that prototype and what was special about it to enable yeah. you to go away and play with some of that stuff yeah so with the advent of the steeper seat angle it does effectively shorten the position so initially i thought well do i want a do I want to live with this? Do I want to adjust the bike? Um, and yeah, it was about it. Fe- and we were, at the same time, we were finding that um, potentially with our four frame size setup, um, the the jump between sizes was um, was like twenty three. What was it? Four forty four. It's about 23, 24 millimetres in reach reach per size. And we were still finding people kind of falling through the cracks Uh a little bit. So because the Rocket Max is UK made and it's small batch production, we felt we could move to a, we could put a fifth size in and like tighten it up a little bit. Yeah. So I set, you know, I set um, Sam and, hannah and paul who all uh, you know rode smallest smallest size bikes and sort of asked them to try some mediums and play around with their bikes and just sort of try and get a feel for where we were at the bottom end of the range but the feeling was is the small was pitched right Uh so the small was fine um i know you and wayno have been running medium gen 3 rocket maxes and was saying actually you know potentially you guys would ideally want it a little bit shorter and and that's why you guys have got on with the mullet setup because it does actually knock a few mil off the reach so so we're getting that feedback saying like the smaller like the jump between small and medium possibly needs to be a little bit tighter yeah and then at the other end i've suddenly like increased my seat angle and thinking "Mm, maybe i would want like seated wise maybe i would want a bit more reach yeah so what would that mean to the xl you know, the biggest size. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, so, so yeah, so there was a whole sizing piece which came in and that's where I had, so the prototype Rocket Max Gen 4 was built basically with the, with the geometry that the production bike came out with, but the, the, he- the world's heaviest, the head world's tube. heaviest head tube. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably why I had so much grip around, <laughs> yeah. around, around at the front. Around the, the just had weight. Yeah, yeah. the weight distribution. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the one. Um, yeah, the world's heaviest head tube. I found some 
massively thick wall T45 tubing at one of my suppliers, which with a bit of turning uh, would work with the ZS56 um, standard, which is the one that all the downhill bikes use with the reach adjust headsets and stuff like that. Yeah. And we already work with works components to get the angle sets for the, to set the bikes up mullet. And mm-hmm. I've used angle sets in bikes for years and years and years. So when I first did the, like the long shot geometry stuff, I was using angle sets in that as well. And I set the bike as it was then back in 2015. I went all the way out to like 62 point something head angle. And I didn't try the reach, but I went right out on the, you know, on the head angle. And that's yeah. why I came back to that. That's where we came to the kind of the head angles that we have now. We've mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the rocket max had a 63 and a half degree head angle since 2018. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Flare Max has had, you know, it's sort of between 65 and 66 head angle since 2018 as well, you know, depending on fork. So we've been sort of fairly settled. But, you know, I thought, well, now's the time to challenge some assumptions. I'm very used to a long bike now. I know what, you know, I know how to ride it. My riding style's changed a bit. I ride in different terrain, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Maybe a longer bike might suit me. Um, you know, there's certainly longer bikes out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, even, uh, you know, even pretty mainstream stuff like the, um, you know, the biggest Stumpy Evo's got nearly 530 reach, which is, you know, so I thought, well, you know, now's the time to have a think about it. Yeah. So I had, um, so Works did me a bunch of reach adjust headsets um, and, um, and, and also angle sets. Um and so yeah, and uh, I got my trusty lyrics with some with a one seventy and a one eighty, you know, uh, air shaft, yeah. and and took myself off to the Tweed Valley with some hammers, <laughs> basically. <laughs> okay, yeah, I did. It was so um, chips from single track came and said hello because i was testing on one of the days i tested it was the uplift i was uplifting at um adrenaline at inners yeah to get laps in without pedaling to the top and i'd done everything i kind of done everything i'd set out to achieve in terms of shock um setting yeah um by lunchtime and i was running it in the shortest the 520 reach setup at that point yeah um with the 63 and a half degree head angle um no, it must have been 63. I think I was running the 184 that week. But anyway, I thought, well, you know, I've got the rest of the day and they've they've just closed for lunch. I've got an hour and I had all my kit with me. So I did a casual headset change in the car park. As you do. Chips comes over going, I just saw, I just crossed the car park, saw someone hitting a ham, hitting a cottage with a hammer. I thought, oh, that must be Si. <laughs> nice. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> good stuff is it interesting to do that like i'm guessing doing that back to back you're really starting to feel the differences like what yeah how was that experiment and how and what did you learn from it um so the what i ended so the most extreme setup i ended up with was a 180 fork 63 and ish yeah 63 62.9 head angle and a 530 reach okay um and what i found was is it was you know certainly in steep fast terrain and not even well even in relatively steep tight terrain over at the golfy as well um for someone who's like 189 centimeters tall and is used to riding modern bikes it is entirely rideable yeah it's totally doable yeah um 
but it own you know and the rock you know with the caveat that the rocket max is really is a steep terrain bike as it is yeah um this was just another level of this only really works if i'm going steep or fast right yeah yeah it wasn't particularly interested in flat corners or yeah stuff yeah. like that um but it was entirely rideable like i say i you know it wasn't a massive change you know it wasn't like the sh- you know the the shock of going from a 460 to a 510 reach when i first did a long shot prototype yeah, you know yeah. it was it was it was totally doable but it was a lot yeah and made it quite terrain specific uh-huh um and that's another bit of feedback that i've had from the bikes um is yes the rocket max has got some you know, it has pretty wild geometry. I, I, I love it. I can, you know, I can, and I, it's my main bike. Even when I'm not doing development, I will be on a Rocket Max and I can ride it in most terrains. But I know that it takes, you know, on flatter terrain, it does take some effort to get that front end loaded. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm slightly cognizant of the fact that it doesn't, you know, I need to not disappear off up my own steep tech bike kind of, um, yeah, yeah. Everyone, you know everyone alley. rides different stuff yeah yeah completely um yeah so you eventually you came back to to a set of numbers where did you end up with on that on that particular xl so the bike i raced at ews which was the bike i'd kind of settled on and and the bike and the geometry was 520 reach which okay. was five mil longer than the previous xl yeah but that's really to account for the seat tube it's mainly to account for the seat angle yeah. um it just it just felt that little bit better with a little bit more room. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, 170, 174, 63 and a half degree head angle. So, yeah. yeah. So in the end, I came back to the numbers, most of the numbers that we were, that we were used to. Yeah. Like I say, it was, it was eminently rideable, the, the longer slacker bike, but I just think it would have probably taken it a bit further out of the use you know sort of range of most people yeah um so yeah that was that that was what i learned is that it's yeah it's it's less unrideable than it was five years ago when i tried something pretty mad like that but it's um it i still felt that the current had you know current most of the current geometry was the best compromise for what i wanted yeah fair comment fair comment and we you talked a bit about the new sizing and putting in this fifth size, which makes a lot of sense, but obviously it makes things more com- more complex for you, right? You have to carry more uh, different product in stock. Yeah. Um, but it benefits customers, right? Yeah. How how's the feedback been on that? Because I guess for for if you're a current Kotic customer, you've got to decide where you go. Like yeah, from yeah. Your, whether you go from a medium to a C two or C three or whatever, for yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. What's the what's the general feedback been like on that? Because there's a few brands that have sort of gone down that they've stepped away from calling things a small, medium, large, and they're giving people more option, I guess, to choose yeah. across a range of bikes based on more on length than on standover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because the the other thing is, is that particularly the small, medium and large thing, it's actually, it's not especially helpful because it's, even though all the brands or most of the brands use those words, they don't actually mean the same thing across. Yeah. But, but you still get people sort of, slightly emotionally married to the size that they write you know i ride a medium 
Yeah. He's like, no, you really need to ride a small Cotic because they're properly sized or, you know, because they're, you know, that's what we think. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you know, you need to ride a large or whatever, but, um, that, and that can, and people can be surprisingly resistant to it, to those suggestions. So by taking that out of the equation, it just makes people actually look properly again, look almost with fresh eyes at what they're doing and look at the numbers rather than the name and say, right, okay, so what does this mean for me? Yeah. Um, so I hopefully it'll mean that people will get, make better choices and be able to get better sized on their bikes because the, the um, you know, the size jumps are less than 20 mil now. And if you and it, and kind of if you, if you stir the mullet options in, they knock about like eight mil off the reach of of a given size. So you know if you're not too fussed about the wheel size that you're running, you can almost say you can almost drop a half size in on everything because you can knock yeah. you know you can knock a C three back to sort of a C two and a half by put by running it mullet kind of thing. So. Yeah. There's all sorts of little stuff which means that it's much easier to get people exactly what they what they would like and hopefully what they need. Um, I think realistically the biggest step has been the fact that um, we now have our C3 is now 482 reach, whereas previously the the medium was 467, the large was 490, and I think quite a lot of people just seem to get on with bikes in that kind of 480-ish reach uh-huh. kind of area. So I think that's been the the biggest win in terms of feedback is people okay. it's people who are slightly more informed on bike sizing and know about reach and what they want. You know, if they're around 510, 511, they just go, yes, there's the one with about five 480 reach. I will have that <laughs> that's one. Mine, so that's please. the that's so that's been that's probably been the biggest win yeah. but broadly people are pretty it's not like we couldn't get people sized up on the bikes before and the rest of the range still runs the you know the you know the four sort of step sizing it's just a bit easier to get people you know perhaps what they want or need on with the, with five sizes because yeah. it's just um you know it's just a bit smaller steps yeah nice i like it talk a bit about chainstay length because there's there's school, various different schools of thought on that of whether they're ver- the, the chainstay length should vary with frame size, yeah. You've stuck with a consistent length across the range, yeah. Give us your kind of reasoning behind that, I suppose. Okay, so the main the main reason. So there's two things. It, it, there's a there's a negative thing pushing it and a positive thing. The um, the negative thing, sort of the not the negative thing, but the um, but the 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 sort of it's a bit hard to explain um the thing we find is we've got people we've got people from um you know five foot four to six foot three in the in the company and they've all ridden 29 you know the 29 narcotics um with the 448 447 rear end yeah and they've most of them have ridden 275 bikes as well and um none of them are bothered by the long rear end uh-huh. none of them you know and none of them are bothered by the longer rear end um they like the weight balance it gives them on the bike um and yeah we've just not found 
like a downside the, like you know people haven't expressed a pre- you know saying this bike would you know this would be great if it was just 10 mil shorter on the chainstay yeah um so in the absence of a preference or a demand that's what i meant by the negative thing it's, yeah, the, yeah, it's yeah. an absence of demand like yeah. we, we're going through it and going well these bikes all ride great so what's the point yeah why add complexity why add complexity yeah um so there's that and then the kind of the other thing driving it is a packaging thing because one of the ways in which we keep our steeper actual seat you know the steep top of the Mm -hmm. seat tube is because our longer rear end allows us to if we had a shorter rear end we would have to tuck the seat tube further away from the rear wheel to avoid it hitting at full travel yeah we would have to have a smaller forging at the chainstay head which would be less stiff yeah Um, we wouldn't have as much it would be harder or we wouldn't have as much tire clearance there's like packaging a packaging a 2.6 29 inch tire with tire clearance around a chain ring in that pivot area much shorter than the chainstays we use is really hard and involves some some structural compromises that i don't particularly want to make fair yeah so that's the other reason is I my I strike the compromise in terms of tire clearance and structural you know structural performance and bike fit. Yeah. Got yeah. All right. Let's talk a bit about coils because you you mentioned that coil is now an option again on the bikes and you know there's a lot of learning in the past but also I think a lot of learning in the development of this bike. Mm. Tell us a bit about that side of things like how have you got on with you know spending a lot more time with coil shocks because it's an area that like I think a lot of people want and everyone knows that there's a that soft off the top kind of plush mm. feel of a coil shock they look pretty cool all of that but they they're actually kind of they're harder to get set up generally right yeah. you're not as tunable as an air yeah. shock you have to make sure you've got the right spring rate preload all this kind of stuff so yeah just give us a, like your experience with coil that you've had throughout the development of this bike um i i came to the coil setting up quite late in the development cuz i cuz actually because there were so many other things i was changing you know i was changing the kinematic i was changing the geometry i was mucking around with all of that kind of stuff that actually i stuck with air shocks for the first like 4 months of the of the development because mm-hmm. i needed a variable i needed one less variable yeah yeah so um ultimately the the coil came about i knew that the the frame rate would be fine in theory for coil uh-huh um, and I had run coil on a Gen 3 bike um, for a couple of months uh, for myself just to see where we're at with it, you know, see where we're at with it all. So I wasn't into it completely cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess worth mentioning, so coil's a linear, right? Whereas yeah. a, an Airshock has a level of progression to it. Yeah. So the bike needs to make up for that lack of progression in a coil shock. It needs to be progressive enough to work with a spring. That's right. That's right. But, and there are, yeah, that's a broad sketch of it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I got my Kitsuma coil on around Christmas time, 2021. Yeah. Um, and I just set about with the data logger that I've got, I've got a motion, motion instrument set up. So, um, so yeah, so went to my local track that I've got lots of data on and ran, 
runs on my air shock, uh, a couple of the air shocks, ran the coil shock, um, was kind of getting, yeah, so I got some, some, something of a setup on it, but I wasn't like, wasn't like super stoked on it. It felt like, it felt, felt nice, but I'd always come at it like years ago. I, you know, we used to run like the, the inline, the Cane Creek inline coils on the older bikes and, um, and I tried that across a couple of different bikes and I always came back to preferring the feel of the air shock and I like the tunability and all of that kind of stuff, but they were much higher leverage. Um, and they, you know, they had a different progression rate and there was just things that didn't actually agree with the coil shock all that well, but the Kitsuma coil and this particular bike did work well together. Um, but it was also part of a learning curve for me because one of the things with air shocks is, is that they do give um, a level of support with the air spring uh, and to a point the friction in the seals and all of this kind of stuff, which means you, you're not quite as reliant on the damper for feel. Whereas uh-huh. with a coil shock, you know, it, you know the, the bike just moves. Yeah. So you've got to get your damper set up good. And um, I actually ended up having a, uh, having a long chat with... Um, um, uh, David from uh, Rulesman Suspension, who's a big proponent of the Cane Creek shocks yeah. and been working with Paul Aston on his Kitsumas and stuff like that. Um, so he very kindly gave me some of his time and said, oh no, you need way more low speed compression support than you're running. And like, cause I like, a, cause I run, I ride quite, quite rough, fast terrain most of the time and then when i'm riding in steep stuff i tend not to be going too quick so i tend to put more of a premium up until that point i would always put more of a premium on having quite open mm-hmm. compression for grip um i don't tend to ride berm stuff quite as much and uh, you know obviously i've just said i can't jump for shit so <laughs> um so so that so that more support kind of side of the piece was always kind of a bit of my compromise that i kind of left to one side i always wanted grip and grip and feel out of the bike uh-huh. but um dave suggested um a setup which had a lot of compression it's very still quite fast rebound which i've come to over the last couple of years i run my bikes very fast on the rebound side for that pattery grip mm-hmm. um but much much more compression um i was like oh, okay so Anyway, so I went out with that setup um, and rode my local trail, not with the data on, just tried to go and ride my local test track. And it's pretty rough and it's got big holes in it and stuff. And I ride flat pedals as well. Yeah. And I literally, I, I did two runs and my, I couldn't, I like blew my feet off the pedals like three times. So <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, I can't even ride this. There's just no subtlety to it. Yeah. It's just, and I guess what it is, is that if you're in a bike park, it would be mint. It was like nearly, I had the low speed compression, like nearly closed and like, okay. um, and the, the high speed compression was wound on a fair way as well. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a lot. Um, but I sort of thought, well, you know, let's, you know, so I dialed it back a little bit and got to a point where my feet weren't blowing off but I was definitely feeling a bit more support in the bike. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting. So I went through, went over and rode one of our local little Burmy flow trails and immediately felt 
like as you set into the corner the bike wasn't sitting in as much and it was getting more drive out of the corners yeah. um so um so that was just a really interesting piece of learning and i guess what it is is that, you know dave lives in finale and finale i love the riding finale but even though it's very natural um it's quite well supported it's in these kind of natural hollow ways a lot of the time so when you're going around corners and yeah, so yeah. it's got a little bit more maybe in common with you know with a bermed trail rather yeah, yeah. than right you know so so i can imagine i can understand why he rides a bike with so much support built in because he can get away with it mm -hmm. um and now i understand that a little bit more because the nice thing about the Cane Creek as well is that unlike a lot of the other shocks, as you turn up the low speed compression damping, it doesn't talk to the high speed. It's completely independent. So okay. so it's not like I'm making it rougher all the way through or getting some kind of cross talk or anything like that. So, it, so it's, it's brilliant because of that particular shock as well. Because mm -hmm. I've definitely ridden other shocks where I've sort of felt like I've wanted more support and just like turned up the low speed compression damping and it just all suddenly yeah, feels horrible. feels harsh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that shock in particular is very good for it. It's, um, but yeah, I've, I've ended up. So n now the base tune on the shock is five, five clicks out of 10 low speed compression. Um, whereas well, I'd sort of started out at two, Okay, you know, so, and they, they're kind of quite meaningful clicks on the Kitsuma as well. And we're so talking quite from open here, from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's um, it's been a really interesting learning curve, like to get my head around it. But actually, once I had the bike set up with that, sort of the combination of the new the, the new understanding and um, trying to do stuff and trying to ride berms a bit more and trying to improve my riding and brake earlier and all of these kind of things that I've been trying to do, it just all kind of came together that that shock was working really well. So it's just ended up staying on because again. Once I got it set up and it was feeling nice and all of that kind of stuff, we were into kind of March time. Yeah. And by then we were kind of heavily committed to EWS. And that's, that's the point at which I suddenly thought, oh, I kind of need to decide that this is what I'm racing because <laughs> I don't want to, I just need to, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to yeah. be thinking about my bike when I'm racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, how key was the data side of things? Because that's like relatively recent for you, right? The last couple of years that you've been playing around more yeah. with suspension data. How how has that kind of helped inform your decisions that you're making in design? Um, I don't think it's helped. I don't think it's really been much in the way of design. It's just helped me get tunes, like the tunes on the shocks better and understand uh -huh. how to advise people better. Because now, you know, um, so... Yeah, so it doesn't really help massively on the design side. It just helps. It's a detail thing, the, okay. the, the data. It's about getting the detail of the shock tune right and um, the detail of the setup right and understanding what's going on with mm -hmm. your, you know, your suspension in certain situations. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, but it's, it's a really good tool. Um, but I actually don't, I don't use it as much as I did when I first got it because I've got now that experience from that time yeah, okay. and because we're broadly working with the same shock manufacturers who are manufacturing the same shocks I've got I've got like a basis of data now where if I go to my test track 
I can just look back up that, you know, I can look at five different runs for five different shocks on broadly the same bike on the same run and say, right, that's where we are. And then I can create a little like comparison table and say, right, well, where, where does this sit today? And, Uh um, so that just make it, but that, you know, the work was there in building up that experience, but it's, um, but no, it is good because it's like as soon as you get something that's completely new to you, you can just put the data on and have a look and see, if, you know, see where it's going. Yeah, but it's helped you develop your feel, right? I guess like you've had yeah. a better feel for what's going on now because you've been able to feel it, look at the data, tie the two together, yes, and understand what you're feeling a bit better, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And another thing you've changed, I think throughout the development of this particular bike is something in your setup you you started running a higher bar yes or higher rise bar tell me a bit about why and how you're finding that um so it was partly initially it was when it was partly to do with the steeper seat angle because i was i was running 25 mil rise bars and it just felt like at times sometimes there was felt like there was quite a lot of weight on my wrists so i thought maybe a higher rise bar would be quite kind of nice to try or yeah um so it's partly that the interesting thing i found once i tried it because one of the things i was concerned about when going to the 174 because it actually ends up raising the the stack height on the frames nearly 15 mil which is quite really quite tall yeah even so and i was already running a riser bar and a bit of a spacer and stuff and thought what but actually with the tall front i got on the bike and the tall front end like felt like i could felt like i could turn the bike a bit easier okay so it took me a while to figure out what it was that was going on but it does kind of allude to something that i worked on when i fiddled around with bar height a few years ago but what i think it is is that when you modern modern long bikes need a, need angle to turn you don't steer them you mm-hmm. angle them yeah and the more angle you can get on it and the faster you can apply that angle the better you're going to turn the bike uh-huh. and when you're stood up quite tall on the bike when you put angle on the bike you if you think just think of just just think in your head like hold your hands up as if you're on the bike and then move your hand away as if you're going to angle it. At some point, your 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 arm goes completely straight, elbow locked. Yeah. You've got a limited amount of reach and therefore a limited amount of angle you can apply to the bike. Mm-hmm. And with a taller bar, um, I can apply more angle to the bike. Before you run out. Before I run out of reach. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I think, which is something I've learned when jumping back on other bikes like smaller bikes as well, like shorter travel bikes that we do because we've been mucking around with some of them as well, Um, which have much lower front ends because of shorter forks and all of that kind of thing, is a lower front end you think is going to help you load the front end. It's a lower bar, therefore more over over it and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, I think what it is for me is... When when I'm when I'm more hunched over and lower at the front, um, I stick my bum out more. Okay. Because I can't stand up tall. 
because it because then it's too it's too much of a reach down to the bars from my neutral sort of standing up tall position so mm. i have to bend i have to hip hinge and then but your center of gravity is in your hips your center of gravity is like pretty much your belly button yes yeah, so you've, so you've suddenly so you've just way. shifted it back yeah so even though you think you've got your arms lower and your head's lower actually your center of gravity's just gone back yeah quite a lot i mean you think of it it's probably gone back you know like could be a foot. half a chain yeah, stay yeah, length yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah it's a lot so i i got into this slightly counterintuitive situation where i had these really quite high bars 170 bike stem on spacer under the stem 38 mil rise bars and yet i could load the front of the bikies it just felt like the most natural thing in the world and I was, and I realised what it was is I was standing up in the middle of the bike. I was standing up tall, and I could just reach the bars. And when I turned, I just, I just extended my, you know, my inner arm. I just yeah. angled the bike. Um, and uh, whereas if you're hip hinging back, you're taking weight away from the front wheel, and you start to feel like you're going to watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you don't have as much confidence in the front end, so you don't apply the, you maybe don't apply the angle quite as quickly. Yeah. Because I've really noticed is like I will I I just I I apply angle to the bike really fast now, um, because I just so it's it was just a really interesting revelation. And then I as these things were sort of knocking around in my mind, um, I've been watching a lot of the downhill racing this year. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant, and I noticed particularly the sh- the shorter riders. Because obviously they've got the tall front, they've got you know everyone's got a broadly similar front end height because of the length of the fork and all of this. Particularly the shorter riders like um, you know Troy Brosnan, Laurie Greenland, those guys, they just seem to be really physically quiet on the bike. They just seem to stand up in the middle yeah. and just apply angle and apply pressure, and the yeah. bike just goes. I just suddenly thought, I mean, that's sort of what's happened with my riding by putting higher bars i'm just i'm sort of doing you are now i'm now doing doing a rubbish version of that (laughs) okay no that makes sense though yeah modern bikes like getting in the middle of them is is kind of key to where it's all about yeah definitely yeah Um, interesting because like you say it is counterintuitive that pulling your bar up helps front end yeah but and it and the amount of times i've had to just get used to pedaling up hills in what feel like weird positions in the last couple of years you know with the you know I had the bike fit at fit for physio in mm-hmm. town and that was brilliant and it helped my knee but it shifted my saddle forward and then I had shorter cranks and then suddenly I'm lifting my bars up and I'm like thinking well this is all very short and very tall and my back doesn't feel very good and then actually you just if you just give it a bit of a chance give it two or three rides and give it a bit of a chance you do get used to it relatively quickly. And yeah. then, you know, like I say, I just, yeah, it's been really surprising how much of a difference it makes. Nice. That's interesting. Yeah, really interesting changes. There's a few structural changes on the bike. There's a tube set change, right? Yes. Why is that? It's a it's a bespoke tube to you now, right? Uh, the last one was as well. Ah, okay. But, um, but yeah, it's now got a, it's now got a, it's got another bespoke down tube. Uh-huh. Um, which is just because again the the at the the front end's got a lot taller and thirty eight mil forks are very stiff yeah. and um and 
as I alluded to previously, you know, we'd had some, you know, we had had some trouble in the past with people with poorly set up coil shocks. And we're much more on top of that now because we don't sell the frames without a shock, you know, without a shock to, yeah. you know, and we, you know, and I get people to email me their weight in riding kit so I can advise them exactly what, yeah. you know, what, get the right you know, set put it into the suspension and, software and yeah. get them exactly the right thing. So we're a lot hotter on that now as uh, besides, but we needed a much stronger down tube. Yeah. Um, so it is a bespoke down tube for what we need for that bike. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's it. The the rest of the tube set is um, um, well, the head tube is our our own custom tubes, but the the rest of the Reynolds bits are you know are bits that you know anyone else could buy. But yeah. that that down tube is ours. Nice. And the bottom bracket gussets have gone and been replaced by a little kind of connecting yeah, support the tube. brace tube. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, that that um, so the gussets were the the gussets were a solution to look after that weld as the bikes got longer and we we did have a uh, we did have a recall a couple of years ago with the rocket max gen 2 on the larger sizes because we you know we've that was one of those things that with all the will in the world and passing all of the lab tests and everything like that that was something that we found out in the field okay with with you know thousands of miles of customer mileage on yeah. the bikes yeah um so we recalled them and um, uh, we called, we did a recall and repair. So we had them back. Uh, five, we figured out the gussets were the solution. We welded, we got them welded on at five land. Yeah. We painted people's frames. Oh, it was nice. so. Yeah, it was cool. Nothing got scrapped. So nothing, good. nothing yeah. got scrapped, which is which is good. Which is sort of reads into the sort of sustainability piece, which is nice. Um, but you know, you know, our customers were extremely good and patient with us because we had them their bikes off them in the middle of kind of riding season really but we had to we had to do it it's never a good time no true but the right um, the right thing to do is to get them safe and sorted yeah but um yeah the gussets uh and the gusset worked fine on the jet and the flare max and the rocket max gen 2 and the rocket max gen 3 but with the stiffer down tube and the taller front end and they reached their they um they went pop in the in the not in the ISO test, which is the safety test, but mm -hmm. we got our frames done at EFBE and at the tri test. They the 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 EFB tri test, which is the kind of beyond right safety standard okay. test. So it's you don't have to do it. No, no, no. but you guys do. Yeah. Uh, How's that loading the bike? What does it do? Um, it's it's more more loads more heavily in more directions right. broadly. It's okay, actually so it's a multi direction yeah, yeah. It's a, test high it's, cycle numbers. Yeah, it's a, and... it's a proprietary yeah. test. I can't okay. tell you exactly what it okay. is. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but it's um, um, but yeah, the the gussets went pop, the test frame gussets went pop um, during one of the fatigues. Okay, and we did a bunch of work. Me and one and this guy helped me out with the development of them as well. And we just couldn't figure out a way that would make the gusset solution work for that frame. Uh -huh. So the next step up was the tube, yeah. and the tube went straight through. In fact, it was the same frame. We just we just took the we took the damaged gussets off it, put the tube on, and then sent it back. And so everything else on the frames done like the test more than once, basically, yeah. and passed. So yeah, yeah. So in a good spot then. So yeah, so that was uh, yeah, so that's that's what that was. So it's not that the gussets were a bad idea; it was just that they didn't work in this particularly long, tall frame. Yeah, 
Cool, man. And there's some nice changes in the kind of some of the more subtle details on the bike too, like some of the interfaces look a lot slicker. Um, I'm trying. <laughs> we don't have an industrial designer. It's all me. Um, but I am trying. I've got a lot more of a eye for that now with a bit of help and a bit of experience and knowing what the capabilities of our machine shops are. So, yeah, yeah. you'll see the... Um, the machine parts all have rounded edges instead of chamfers, which is a little bit more sympathetic in terms of shape to the small radii that you get on the tubes, and it all yeah. kind of ties together. And we've got the new non we've got the new non rotate drop link design as well for the Rocket Max, which is just like a so the the drop links are actually tied together using keys on the axle mm-hmm. rather than just the clamps. So yeah. that's completely that's a bit stiffer and a bit more solid and. Um, yeah, just, I mean, the level of presentation in the industry now is so high and people can do such incredible industrial design on carbon frames and things like that and the expectation. So that becomes the customer expectation. Yeah, yeah, and the expectation's gone up. Whilst yeah. we don't operate in that space in terms of material, um, you know, we're still, you know, we're still asking people to part with their hard-earned money for a, you know, for a premium bike and so it's got to you know the you know the details do need to look nice and you do want to be hopefully surprised and delighted by by some little thing on the bike um and it's a constant little thing because i mean on the pink bike test matt picked us up because the um you know he said to you know i asked for i always ask testers for feedback after the tests okay. you know is that we you know what could because realistically these guys ride hundreds of bikes yeah, that, you yeah. know way more than i do yeah so you know how does it stack up what 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 do you think we should change and, it, and the, the the list from matt at pink bike was was mercifully and pleasingly short <laughs> um but one of the things he said was that the seat stay bolts are a bit you know, they just don't look quite as slick as some of the rest of the presentation, particularly with the way that the act, you know, that he said that, you know, particularly because they're so close to the sort of nice Sintase rear axle and that's all kind of nicely yeah. integrated. So um, just to just today, we've got some delivery of some new washers with countersink bolts, which just look a little bit more slick. So it's just, we're just trying to do little, 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 little bits all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Always looking to improve. It's yeah. cool. And, there's a there's a trend at the moment in bikes of kind of putting adjustability in whether that's reach, whether it's flip chips, whether it's like long short chainstay options. Yeah, you've you've stayed away from that with the Rocket Max. Just give us some thoughts on on why. Um, there's well mainly because we. We do a range of we do a quite a big range of bikes which offer relatively specific things to, for certain types of riding. So it sort of feels to me like I've always felt that you know if you can't quite get what you want out of a Rocket Max, we probably either want a bigger bike which we don't make, or you want a jet. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. It's yeah, just yeah. like if you want a steeper head angle, well, you probably don't want to be riding a 170 bike then you probably want this bike yeah um yeah for as a for instance yeah um the my experience of um of adjustability um in other brands bikes 
um, is not by all, you know, not not widespread by all means, but generally they get creaky quite easily and it's hard enough stopping a full suspension bike creaking, <laughs> you know, in terms of engineering the pivots without yeah. adding in, you know, tapered washers and aluminium on aluminium interfaces and all of that kind of stuff. It's, yeah. um, it's hard to do well. well. Yeah. And it's an extra point of failure and it's an extra point of weight. Um, and, to be honest, the other thing is, is that a lot of the time, I mean, there are, you know, there's some stuff out there where there's, um, you know, there's adjustability and you can just like, you can adjust the BB like four millimeters and 0.3 on the head angle. It's just like, just put it in, just build it in the slack position and leave it. <laughs> just that's what everyone is going to do. Yeah, You yeah. know, it's just not meaningful. Yeah. And then when you do, when you can build meaningful adjustment into it, it's very easy for people to screw that up or make a really weird riding bike. I mean, the only people who do adjustment really well is Geometron because the adjustable bits are massively properly engineered with big bolts and big like locking interfaces. Mm -hmm. um, and also Chris won't let you out the door unless it's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so that's, so, so there's, you know, so, so that, that from that side of it um the you know that stumpy evo with all of that adjustability it's absolutely astonishing level of adjustability but i would be terrified of dropping offset headset cups yeah, yeah. just as a just as a for instance that's just yeah. one of the bits of you know of adjustability that it's got yeah um um so yeah that so like i say i i sort of try and bin my bikes in terms of you know use cases yeah and then design appropriate geometry um so that's why that's why i try to do so that's why i tend to stay away from adjustability um because ultimately i don't think people adjust it all that much and then they um and then you're carrying around a lot of extra weight and complexity for i mean maybe it means you've got your bike in exactly how you want it and i get that but there's so much to adjust on a bike anyway in terms yeah. of suspension feel and setup or maybe the length of the fork or the height of your bars we yeah. just talked yeah. about yeah. you know there's so much you can do anyway um so the only the only level of adjustability we offer is the is the angle set for the mullet wheel set to make you know to to keep the geometry yeah you, you know to keep the geometry somewhat consistent yeah um and that is a factory fit pressed in angle set yeah um which me which is not the which is beyond the which anyone can do any you know if you want to go slacker on one of our bikes put a works component in angle set and it knock yourself out yeah but it's not the kind of thing you know even the cheapest like you know, headset press and sort of headset tools thing is going to cost someone like well over a hundred quid. Yeah. And I would suggest not trying to put an angle set in with the cheapest stuff because it's <laughs> really, really difficult. Yeah, it is. So, it? you know, so that's, you know, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's weight, it's complexity, it's reliability. So yeah, yeah we try and go with, you know, what we think works. Yeah. And, and if you don't like it, then, then that's fine. Go and 
you know, you can. There's plenty of other stuff out there. Well, this is it. Yeah, you're not making a bike for everyone to love, right? You're making no. it for the people that want it. Um, but like you say, it is super easy to run a mullet, and that's a factory option for people. Yeah. But you've also offer options on travel as well. So if people want to make it kind of like I don't know, it's there's a lot of different ways of describing bikes and which category they yeah. fit into. But like a super trail bike, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So this. So this is the 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 reason. Um, so yeah, the the you can so you can run the bike with one sixty forks and um, the as well as one seventies, and you we have um, a couple of shock options which allow you to run either a sixty five mil stroke, uh, which gives you the one sixty mil travel, um, or the sixty two and a half mil stroke, which is what we had for the previous bike that gives you one fifty five, or if you run a sixty, you get one fifty travel mm-hmm. so you can effectively build a bike as a 150 160 bike with a 64 degree head angle and a slightly lower bb and a slightly longer reach um all of the geometry tables are on the website you can just kind of tab scroll between the tabs and you'll yeah. see the differences um but the interesting thing for me was is that um when i started this project obviously this was a customer driven project the, the big forks the big bar you know the you know the big travel you know all of that kind of stuff um it was customer demand really. And actually I was perfectly happy with my 160 bike um, and my air shock. Now um, I will admit that I'm quite taken with the coil shock now that I've got <laughs> it set up nicely, but, um, and I did race the DWS with the, with the 170, 160, you know, setup, um, And that was what I ran, you, you know, but um I did run the bike with the one one fifty one sixty setup, and even though the numbers don't look that different, it's a surprisingly different feeling bike. It's quite, quite. It just feels nippier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess it. You know, just you have to run the shock a little bit harder and slightly shorter forks, and you know, so it just you know just sort of picks up a little bit easier. And I don't know. It was just, it was quite surprising to me. And we don't have a bike in that space anymore. We've got, you know, the next bike down is the 140, 150 bike. Yeah. So um, it was, so whilst I say, yes, we don't have adjustability built into the frame, um, you could order a bike with the, you know, a 150, 160 bike, which would be quite a different beast to, you know, like a 150, 160 bike with some lyrics and, you know, like a deluxe shock would be quite a different feeling beast to, um, you know, the Zebs and Kitsuma coil, yeah. like full fat enduro. Yeah, you can do bike. a lot around the platform. Yeah, basically. so um, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. And we did a bit of uh, market research um, a while back as well. And actually the interesting thing where there was is that the, the 140, 150 and 150, 160 bike almost tied in terms of number of people who said that was either their current or next bike uh-huh. and then they were the but they were also the most popular as well even 160 170 even though that's become like the, the de facto kind of enduro yeah standard certainly from our customers point of view and or sort of people who are signed up to our mailing list anyway um that was even though that was pop that was the next most popular one um it was um it was it was interesting to see that so so yeah so we've got an option for those people who want to just drop a bike in the middle there kind yeah. of thing nice and you're super flexible on uh build spec as well right if people don't want like the exact build that's on the website 
yeah. they can get in touch and absolutely uh, yeah kind of have what they want yes your bike built for you um it's uh yeah we assemble every bike to order in carver in the peak district and from a frame upwards so if you've got some bits that you like that you want to send over we can put them on the bike or if you've got some bits you know you can you can transfer over yourself you can get a rolling chassis you can get um you know you can get anything from a bare frame right up to a complete bike and anything in between and if we don't do it and you've got a particular preference we can try and get it we yeah. can we can do our best um but yeah we 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 can we can work with you for whatever you know whatever you would like so how do people do that call up is that um yeah email, yeah or email yeah. yeah call or email um it's, it's usually best to email actually because because then you can just list out like okay. you can list out some options some exact things you yeah. want and then we know exactly what we're dealing with yeah you can come back with prices and availability and stuff like that yeah 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 for sure happy days and i guess also worth mentioning demos back right if you're based in the uk you had a break through covid with everything that was going on there but you have to some extent demo available again uh yes demos available again um we've actually got one this saturday although that's too late for this that's going to be weird thing to say because this (laughs) podcast will go out in a couple of weeks um yeah we're doing monthly demos at carver at our base with our demo fleet and we've actually got a pretty sizable fleet now we're um you know we're back up to most products in all you know in a in a good handful of sizes so yeah so we've got rocket max c2 c3 at the moment we're going to be building a c4 very soon and a c1 um so yeah so that's uh that's going on that's busy uh we won't be getting out on the road again until sometime next year with a different plan but it won't be quite as big a thing as it was um the last time where we were out every weekend i think we're gonna yeah. be a little bit more focused and event sort of targeted uh-huh. um but yeah, for the moment, you can definitely demo on a, on a weekend once a month and we're doing uh, Wednesdays and Fridays every week if you can take a day off and come and ride in the Peak District. And, um, you know, um, if nothing else, you've had a nice ride. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, if people are interested in anything from the Kark range um, and specifically, obviously, we've been talking about the, the new Rocket Max today, but if people want to find out a bit more, what's the best place for them to head? uh uk is our website all of the product information is there super thorough geo charts for all the different builds yeah yeah all the geo charts just scroll down the product page there's videos there's loads of photo galleries there's all sorts i mean there's that our website goes all the way back to the start of the company back in 2003 so there's there's all sorts of treasure in there um yeah so yeah definitely cotic.co.uk that's the one and um you if you just get in contact there on the contact page there you'll see our email phone number we're always happy to talk always happy to receive an email um uh sign up to our mailing list because uh me and uh the rest of the people at work we send out emails on all sorts of subjects i sent out a probably ridiculous actually uh <laughs> suspension setup thing the other uh, the was, other day it was really interesting it was a lot um uh you know hannah's just about to send out one about women of steel you know we t- t- tell you about the demo days tell you about the outlet sales we tell you about all sorts of different stuff so it's not a you know like a spamathon it's generally fr- genuinely from us interesting things we think you would like so if you want to go and sign up there that would be great um Apart from that, it's at Cotic Bikes on Instagram, 
Kotick on Facebook. We don't really do Twitter. All right. We'll stick links to all of that stuff in the show notes. People can find it. But yeah, thanks for the ride. Looks like we've got that done in time before the rain set in for the afternoon. Yeah, very good. And uh, yeah, super nice to catch up and hear a bit more about the bike. And uh, hope yeah. I hope it all goes well. It seems to be doing good at the moment. So yeah, thanks for, for having me. Nice one. <laughs> Cheers, Sai. Cheers. Take care. All right, that's it for this episode with Sai. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to Sprung Suspension for supporting this episode. If you're looking to improve the way your bike rides and to give your suspension some love after a long summer of riding, look no further than Sprung Suspension. With knowledge from working at suspension companies, bike companies and World Cup race teams, Sprung will be able to sort you out and have your suspension feeling better than it's ever felt before. As a downtime listener, you can get 10% off service and tuning until the 15th of November. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME22 over at sprungsuspension.com. That's downtime, all one word, followed by the number 22 over at sprungsuspension.com. Also, a big thanks to Kotick. If you want to check out what they have to offer, then head over to kotick.co.uk. Here are a few other links that might be useful to you too downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you don't miss an episode forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some brand new merch and forward slash ep if you'd like to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project downtime ep as always spread the word tell your rider mates and make sure as many people as possible are listening that's it for today we're gonna have another awesome episode coming up really soon but until next time get out and ride (laughs) 